Hi, Pastor Adam here, and we are finishing our discussion this week, this month, talking about our nobility. This week, we're talking about the special honor that is being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying process that the Holy Spirit has us on, how we can live and operate knowing that we have God's Spirit in us, in our lives, and what that means for us. If that sounds like something that might be of interest to you, then check out this sermon. So, we are continuing and subsequently ending <clears throat> our, our discussion time on understanding the nobility, the special honor that we have now as God's people how this should inform us, um, how this should inform who we are, and how we live according to that. So that's what this, this short three weeks has been about. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that this was a shortened, uh, a shortened sermon arc for me because of a discussion we had at the beginning of the month, so um, we're at the end of it today already. So I'm here to give the final message on that topic today as we... Um, as, or as I seek to usher in Collins and Jacob's, Jacob's first sermon coming up, Collins and Jacob's <laughs> sermon month on the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the different ways in which the Holy Spirit um, informs and enables our agency as believers. So that's what today will be about ushering in that without trying to step too much on the toes of, of those guys. So first, uh, a quick recap. Um, two weeks ago, we went over some of what it means to be adopted into God's household, to be heirs and to rule alongside Christ. This is a special honor that we have, that we get. And so we talked about that, the special honor of what we will inherit alongside Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, for example, the glory that is to come, the, that it is a promise to come for us, but not before we partner with Christ in his suffering. So that was week number one, the, 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 quick, the quick gist of what we talked about in the first week. And then last week we talked about the great hope and the great honor that is our eternal life and what that means, a life that lasts forever, that we are experiencing even now. Uh, but more than just a quantitative matter, I said, um, though it is that too, eternal life is meant to be experienced in knowing and fellowshipping with an eternal God. It's a quality of life meant to be experienced in our relationship with him, and it's given because of his work and gift to us, gift to us. The extent of God's love is measured by the extent of his gift to us, and that gift is eternal life. Remember that, uh, the power verse that we went over last, last week, the John 3.16 verse, that, that means this, that God loved the world to the degree that he gave up his one-of-a-kind, unique son. That's how that verse should translate. God so loved the world that he gave up his one-of-a-kind, unique son, to the degree that he gave him up. And so that was last week, talking about eternal life and understanding our inheritance of that gift, that honor that we have. So this week, as I said, I'm going to try to usher in um, Colin's month on the, the work of the Spirit on those weeks to come. But today we're going to reflect on the nobility 
the special honor of the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit for us, the Holy Spirit that indwells us all. Today, we're really going to talk about sanctification. The truth is, I, I had a hard time pinpointing of just where I wanted to be in regards to talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and knowing that Colin and Jake had four weeks to sort of tap into that, so I wanted to try to not get distracted in my own um, path and my own goal for today. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and for what purpose, and that purpose is to sanctify us. So that's what today is going to be about, um, and how in that process the Holy Spirit is on full display and full glory in the lives of us, in the lives of the believer. I think I said a couple of weeks ago, like during our first time, uh, that I was going to revisit Romans chapter 8. Remember we read, I think we read the full of Romans chapter 8 because it's just that much more powerful when you read it in full. You know, it's capstoned with that amazing passage at the end about nothing being able to separate us from God. So I told you we'd revisit that in, in one of my coming weeks, and so that time is today. We're going to be back in Romans chapter 8 today. Um, but to recap, Paul is summing up this section of his letter on sanctification. In particular, he's introducing the Holy Spirit's role in the sanctifying process. So for those of you who lost that word, lost that meaning in your old noggin there, and maybe for some of the younger people um, that haven't heard that word or don't know what that means, I can, can hear Joseph. If he wasn't sick, he'd be in here just asking out loud what that means, as he does. But it's the process, sanctification is a process that we are in as believers, a process of becoming what God has already declared us as. It's a process of becoming holy and righteous because that's how God has declared us through the work of his son. So that is what sanctification is. Um, So to learn more on that, try to listen up. Try to listen up today. I'm going to try to give you 25 minutes of more of that. Um, But some clarification first as we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit now and in the weeks to come with the other two guys. We need to lay down some hard rules as we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's my estimation that the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most underappreciated, misunderstood, maybe misrepresented, improperly acknowledged or referenced aspect of who God is. Um, He is deity. He is deity not to be ignored and not to be misinterpreted, but to be worshipped as the third person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a he, not a what, not an it, not a thing, not a force. The Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, as I said, not a person or force. As we talk about what he does, it's important to shed some of the sloppiness that we might have in our culture, in our Christian culture even. There's a tendency in which we talk about what the Spirit does as though he's um, only member of the Trinity, only a member of the Trinity, or we don't really talk about what the Holy Spirit does at all. And my observation is probably more toward the latter, that this person is pushed aside more often than not, that this person is not recognized for who he is and the role that he has in our lives. 
The culture has a tendency to reduce the Holy Spirit to merely signs and wonders. But this is poor theology, perhaps even blasphemous. The truth is, the Holy Spirit is very active in our lives as believers, active even in the salvation process. The irony is probably that the Holy Spirit is the most intimately involved in the lives of us as believers. His work is a crucial work of regeneration and sanctification, and so we need to give glory and credit to God, to his Spirit, where it is due, and not, um, not diminish God in that way. Not diminish or um, disrespect our relationship to God in his spirit in the ways that the Christian culture has come to do, I, I suppose. It's the indwelling of the spirit and his work in us that empowers us. It encourages us. It illuminates scripture for us. It illuminates God's word. It's the Holy Spirit who will one day glorify us. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved, personally involved in each of our lives as believers. So we're going to go back to Romans chapter 8, as I said. Uh, we're going to be really focusing on the, like the first 11 or so verses, but if you'd like, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. I'll be reading out of the good old NLT because it's the most easily understood, I suppose. So, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to just read the first four verses to start. Paul says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So we're condemned because we don't, because we can't, keep the law because of our sinful nature. But we're saved, we know, by grace, and as a result, we are now able to keep the righteous requirements of the law as a byproduct of our salvation. And the mechanism for that, the mechanism for being able to do that is in you. And just as God, there we go, I'll, I'll quiet down a little bit. And just as God raise Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. So this is like a critical doctrinal juncture that we all need to understand if we're going to um, operate within our proper agency as God's people and understand what that means. The role of the Spirit in sanctification is contrasted with the flesh. It's contrasted, he is contrasted with our sinful nature. Imagine a chart, I guess, as you read through Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh on one side, and those who live according to God's spirit on the other side. 
So on the one side, flesh. To live according to the flesh, to your sinful nature, is to have thoughts that are dominated by the flesh, by sin. And a mind dominated by that sin leads to death. And a mind dominated by sin leads to war with God. And the scripture says that we are to be transformed by the way that we think. Our minds. To live by the Spirit is to please Him. And that leads to life and peace. Contrasted with death. To please the Spirit is to please God. All persons in the Trinity. To live by the Spirit is to please God and be made right with Him. And to be made right with Him is to inherit what we talked about last week and the week before. There's an obvious contrast between the two lives. In the previous chapter, which we didn't read, in Romans chapter 7, Paul details for us that we still wrestle with the flesh. Contextually, Paul isn't talking about living in bodies made of flesh. I just saw Ant-Man yesterday, the new Ant-Man. So the idea of different realms is fresh in the mind. Paul's talking about two different realms in which to set or not our minds on, depending on the one we're talking about. Those realms are mutually exclusive. That means we cannot live in both of them simultaneously. There are two different authorities, two different governing powers in the lives of man. We wrestle with the flesh because we are in the spirit now. We've been taken out of it. We've been indwelled. We've been given the Holy Spirit. But we are born in the flesh. We are born in sin, born in sinful nature, born hostile to God. Ephesians chapter 2, the first few verses, alludes to this in us all. Paul says here in his letter, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in it, sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts for those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We lived in a domain that was hostile to God, dominated by thoughts that ultimately would, will, lead to death. This is the truth of our nature when we are born. And yes, even little kids. Even little kids, hostile to God. Scripture says there is not one righteous, not even one. To live according to our sinful nature disables us from obeying the law of God. We cannot obey it. No matter how much somebody conforms their behavior to abide by the rules and standards and morals of society, it is outside of control of the Spirit and it will never please God. If it is outside of control of the Spirit, sorry. No matter how much somebody tries to conform to the customs and behaviors and morals of society, if it is outside of the Holy Spirit, 
it can never please God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And it never will. There's a big difference between behavior modification and spiritual transformation in the life of us, in the lives of believers. And oftentimes we want to employ mechanisms that don't acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit. That don't seek to please the Holy Spirit. The truth is that we are no better off than non-believers apart from the Spirit which indwells us and us in Christ. The role of the Spirit in this process we're talking about is to transfer us out of the realm, the old realm, and into another one, from death to life. And our agency, then, is for us to abide in it, to be conformed to it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. The special honor, the nobility bestowed on our lives comes in the form of the Holy Spirit's seal on our lives, the assurance that he gives us when we first believed. We are his baptized into Christ by him. The only way we get into him is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Many people have a no theology or a poor theology when it comes to the Holy Spirit's role in their lives. It's terrible, and it's made a mockery of, quite honestly. Christianity is mocked because of how people have come to understand the work and role of the Holy Spirit and what it means when the Holy Spirit indwells us. On Instagram or social media in general, you watch one video and then they've got you, right? That's how the, the algorithm works. You watch one. I clicked on a thing on Instagram once where it was some Pentecostal church and you know how it goes from there. Their interpretation of the work of the Holy Spirit It's put on display for everyone as a joke, and there's silly music dubbed over it. Right, Jake, wherever you are? Jake knows what I'm talking about. <clears throat> How people understand the Holy Spirit is, is, is laughed at. But the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us with Christ. He's the one who gets us to where we've talked about in the last couple weeks. The Holy Spirit is the one who ushers us into our inheritance as heirs, into our rule with Christ, 
and eternal life alongside him. But people don't understand it. People forget it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is where I'm talking about mechanisms for behavioral conformity that are outside of who God is. Paul's angry in writing this. He's saying, that makes no sense. Don't you understand or have you forgotten? The role of the Spirit in sanctification gives us the greatest hope before God. Romans 8 again, 10 and 11. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The same Holy Spirit that indwells us is the same one who raised a dead Christ. That's pretty powerful. More often than I'd like to hear, I hear people, yes, even some of us here, who feel defeated, overcome by their sinful nature, overcome by their stumbling in sin. I can't do blank. Or I stumbled again, I'm ashamed of blank. Or I just don't know if I can or even want to break free from blank. Insert whatever. And oftentimes the response, at least in the men's circle within this church, is where is your victory? Where is your victory in Christ? My encouragement would be to point you to the nobility and what you have to your nobility and what you have now versus where you came from. Are you prepared to say that whatever thing might afflict you is somehow greater than a dead Jesus? Are you ready to make that claim? I wouldn't advise it. My encouragement is that the same power that takes up residence, that indwells you, is the same one that raised a dead Christ. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that that same spirit is more powerful than that thing you think you can't get out from under. That you can't get away from, that you can't conquer. I don't think it's too much of a claim to say that the substance that you struggle with or the selfishness or issues with pride or anger or resentment pornography, whatever, is somehow bigger than Jesus, who was dead and who was risen because of the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that overcomes the grave that resides in us. That's what we are given. That's our nobility. That's our special honor. 
the same power that empowers us to keep the commandments now. The commandments of a holy and righteous God. That's the power who indwells us. That's the person who indwells us. That is who we are. Remember what it says at the end of this chapter in Romans chapter 8. As I said, we read it in full a couple weeks ago. Verse 30 says, And having chose them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God, through his spirit, is going to conform us to the image of his son because that's what he does. That's his goal. That's what he wants. That's who he is. And what do we have to do? And we talked about this last week. Believe. Believe it. Live like we believe it. Abide in it. Live in holiness and righteousness because it's already been prepared for us. Trust him to work in you and receive him. John chapter 6, the end, verses 60 through 63. Jesus was teaching at a synagogue in Capernaum when he tells the people that he's the bread of life. And he says, many of his disciples said, or it says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? That what will you th- then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Human effort accomplishes nothing for us. It's living to please the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It's not a ministry of mockery or silliness or misinterpretation or physical phenomenons in a moment. It's a ministry of holiness, a ministry that resides in us, that we are indwelt with. The Spirit is in the process of taking us, justified people of God, and sanctifying us. In other words, making us more and more and more progressively holy and more progressively righteous and more progressively like Christ, who is the exact representation of perfection. He is the model, and we are being conformed to that by being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and the work of that person. So that is the goal of God. The goal of God is our holiness. It's our blamelessness. It's our righteousness, which enables us to stand in his presence and fellowship with him, which we talked about last week. That's the plan of redemption initiated by God to produce us to be such a people who will be forever in his glory to serve him and to honor honor him. And it's initiated by God. 
and demonstrated by Christ and ratified by Christ on the cross. And it's applied by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us life. Who will one day raise us to glory. Who sanctifies us. That's the work of God in redemption. To create a redeemed humanity that resembles his son. A familial resemblance. God adopting us into his family, which gives us the full rights, the full inheritance as heirs with Christ. We have nobility, we have special honor because of the full scope, the full work of a triune God in our lives. So I'm going to give you some questions to walk away with today. And hang on to these things I say as Colin talks about the specifics and the nuance and the full scope of how the Holy Spirit speaks to our agency as believers. Hold on to these things. My questions today are, how do you recognize, acknowledge, worship, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity? How do you talk about him? Are you aware of him? Do you glorify him appropriately? Second question, when your sinful nature inevitably pulls at you, where do you go? Who do you go to? What mechanisms do you employ? Third, are you glorifying God in your acknowledgement and relationship with his spirit, or do you dishonor that relationship by trying to remove him or not acknowledge him at all? How are you seeking to please him, the Holy Spirit? Let's, uh, let's go forth then. Have some discussion. Thanks.